the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 482 for September 6th, 2015. T-Mobile tells customers to stop stealing data on its unlimited smartphone plans, rumors heat up ahead of next week's iPhone announcements, and a handful of Android devices are announced at IFA 2015. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first up this week, the Justice Department issued a new policy concerning the use of stingrays, or dirt boxes as they're sometimes called, to collect cell phone data and will require warrants moving forward. So a stingray mimics cell tower and it will record the data of every phone that attempts to connect to it. The boxes are often used by federal officers in cars as they drive around seeking specific phones in an area for their persons of interest. The issue is that stingrays collect data from all devices in the process and the government has used these without warrants for years and then subsequently held on to the data indefinitely. So in addition to requiring warrants, federal law enforcement says they will be forced to delete all data collected by stingrays at least once per day. High level government officials will have to approve the use of airborne stingrays, which could grab data from hundreds of thousands of phones in a relatively short period of time. The new federal policy does not apply to local or state police agencies, which report to local judges. It's also not applying to the Department of Homeland Security, though similar changes are being made there as well. The new policy specifically bars government agents from examining the contents of communications collected by stingrays, such as phone conversations, text messages, and photos. Very interesting stuff here, and not stuff that we talk about all that often, but certainly it does make sense uh, if the technology is available, the government's going to use it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of one of these things where they don't talk about it much because they don't really want people talking about this much or even or even really, uh, you know, for a, a long time, their existence was kind of secret uh, entirely. And uh, even still to this day, you know, if you read Ars Technica, they, they kind of like to uh, keep up on this privacy thing. And there's a lot of uh, judges and counties uh, throughout the, 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 the country that have um, you know, tried to get these uh, th- this data made public, and they, and they just will not because then they uh, either the, the the police agency will cite a uh, non disclosure agreement with the company with the manufacturer, basically being contempt, but they still hold that true, which to me doesn't seem like that's even possible. Uh, and then also, there's been lots of uh, reports on there that cases have been completely dropped as soon as the uh, you know motions to to make this data public in the case goes um you know hits so then all of a sudden the, the, the charges are completely dropped and the person goes free because they don't want to expose their use or the ownership that the department may have of one of these devices so they talk about now having to delete this data once per day I and mean, that that seems to be reasonable right if you had uh, you know have been driving around or flying around collecting it once per day start deleting it i mean that seems often enough it, it does. It's definitely a lot better than holding on to it indefinitely because, you know, you can go back way in time and, and build cases for stuff that's, uh, you know, years and years old. And you, you start to wonder, is that meaningful? You know, what, uh, you know, what can you glean out of that? Can you start creating, you know, situations that actually didn't exist just because it's cell phone data? If you're placing somebody here, is that really at the scene? Because, you know, the, the proximity of these is remains to be seen how big of a range uh, Stingray has and what, uh, you know, how, how what kind of proximity that actually accounts for. Well, I mean, it should be easy enough, right? I mean, obviously they have the, um, the ideal, you know, cell phone tower power, 
plugged into this thing and so they know how far and just the the actual readings and how strong the signal is from the phone they can get at least a, a general idea of where it is so yeah you're to your point um it, it's kind of a it's an interesting thing about placing people and where they could be and i mean it's not that you know most of us the vast majority of us don't do nefarious things but you sometimes don't want the government knowing where you are every single minute of every single day i mean it's not something that you just kind of willingly say yes i want this data to be available to anyone as uh, is absolutely there could be issues that come up some stuff that you're not even thinking about right now no, and, and as we've known for a long time, you know, uh, you know, carriers keep kind of a record of where you're at as well, just with, you know, cell phone tower ping logs and, and just those communications between your handset and your carrier themselves, which can be subpoenaed also. So it's not really, uh, really, if you don't want the government to know where you're at at all times, really, you just cannot have any sort of cell phone with you, any device that transmits. I mean, you could have a pager and that would be about it. Well, but even, well, I guess that would, it wouldn't, they wouldn't really know, right? Because it's just one way. It's not sending information back. Exactly. Or you'd have to basically turn off your phone, uh, you know, if you're not using it. Let me ask you this though, because don't pagers pass back uh, some sort of notification that the message has been delivered or they don't? Not most of them. No, only the ones that were like, you could send messages through them. They're, they were only just one way. Interesting. Okay. Well, either way, uh, some interesting stuff with this story and uh, not that it's necessarily going to affect most of us, but it, it uh, could at some point, depending on what it is that you're doing. BlackBerry this week saying that it has agreed to purchase Good Technology for $425 million. Good makes mobile email products as well as mobile device management tools. The company said the acquisition is aligned with BlackBerry's strategy to offer businesses the most complete end-to-end solution that secures the most mobile enterprise uh, solutions across all platforms. Good technology is currently owned by Visto, and at one time, Visto successfully sued BlackBerry, which was then Research in Motion, for patent infringement. BlackBerry says it expects to close the acquisition during its 2016 fiscal third quarter. Verizon Wednesday unveiled a new logo and visual identity, the company keeping the signature red and black color, colors, but shifted to the italicized V graphic into a similar symbol after the word Verizon, which is a more obvious check mark. According to the company, it's a cleaner, more human design with the check mark, which is, of course, the universal symbol for getting things done, uniquely expressing the reliability of Verizon. T-Mobile this week issued a warning to customers, stop taking unlimited data to ridiculous extremes. In a post by T-Mobile blog, on T-Mobile's blog, CEO John Ledger called out a fraction of a percent of users who have been using hundreds, and in some cases, even thousands of gigabytes each month. The customers aren't using the data on their smartphone alone. Instead, T-Mobile says they've come up with ways to conceal mobile tethering and hotspot usage. With its $80 unlimited plan, T-Mobile offers a 7-gig limit for tethering purposes. Once customers exceed that limit, hotspot speeds are slowed down considerably. But there are apps specifically on Android that aim to hide tethering activity from wireless carriers, making it hard to distinguish what the data is actually being used for. So by going this route, users can blow past the 7 gig ceiling and keep tethering at full speed. And in some extreme cases, customers are using as much as 2 terabytes, yes, 
terabytes per month, saying that T-Mobile's network is more than just being used for checking Facebook and streaming Spotify, of course. Ledger goes on to say that we're going after a small group of users who are stealing data so blatantly and extremely that it's ridiculous. T-Mobile's initially targeting about 3,000 customers out of its 50-plus million and says that it has developed technology that can now detect when customers who've reached their tethering limit are stealing extra gigabytes from their phone plans. They're now, uh, they'll now receive a warning from the carrier asking them to stop immediately. Failing to heed that warning, they will be permanently kicked off of T-Mobile's unlimited data plans or moved onto a company's entry-level tiered data package. And this only makes sense. I mean, we've always known this has always been the case as far as uh, as far as whenever ISPs you know started you know having data available. There's always this one percent uh, or or less of users that just are just constant uh, you know data consumers, and they do anything they can to get around limits and or you know restrictions on that. Yeah, and T-Mobile says if you need more than seven gigs for tethering. Call your local internet company. Broadband services are a better solution for customers who need high-speed data for tethered devices. I mean, this is clearly people downloading movies, running torrents, stuff like that, right? Things like that, yeah. And I don't even know if that works over uh, T-Mobile's network torrents themselves. But, yeah, whatever it may be, there's definitely something that's not really part of the terms of of agreement because you're not supposed to go over that 7 gigs uh, while tethering. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a yeah, duh kind of thing for most of us. But at the same time, obviously, they're saying unlimited. And so people take that and say, well, I'm going to use it in an unlimited way. And uh, unfortunately, they're doing it against the terms of service of their contracts. Yeah, because they're, you know, hacking or jailbreaking the phone and, and putting that on. I mean, it's not that I haven't done that before in the past, especially with Sprint back with the mobile hotspot thing, because they required like $15. I mean, for something that I would use maybe, you know, 10, 10 megabytes or something for it, it to me, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But if I was doing, you know, gigs and gigs, I would have fully expected to be of, uh, you know, caught out and kicked off the network at that point. Yeah, that's I guess that's kind of the thing is none of these customers I imagining are going to be surprised when T-Mobile says, you know, hey, you're using two terabytes of data a month. Come on, that's that's ridiculous over that network. It does go to, to prove just how solid, I guess, in some places T-Mobile's network can be. I have a hard time seeing uh, on some, you know, landline networks that being a viable thing to download two terabytes a month. No kidding. So they definitely have some uh, horsepower in some spots because that's really, you're right, that's completely crazy because today I had some, uh, wherever I was at, uh, visiting somebody's house today, I, the, the most I could get was a 1X uh, uh, Verizon signal and my you know speed test was you know, 0.01. So it's, uh, that would be a little hard to get to two terabyte. It would take just a little bit of time. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of T-Mobile and uh, in that data speed, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot to love when it comes to the network that they've built out. If you happen to be in an area that uh, is served with good, uh, good, solid T-Mobile signal. Uh, I happen to be in one of them and I'm seriously contemplating making the switch. And I just wanted to bring up something uh, in a a quick little narrative that uh, that occurred this week. So I went over to T-Mobile just to to talk with them about the new plans that they have right now or the promotional plans that that is. Um, and I'm going to roll the dice and I'm actually going to hold off and I'm not going to switch over. Although the, the latest plans that are out there, which is two smartphone lines for $100 a month, each with 10 gigs of data, uh, it ex- expires or ends on the 8th, which is Tuesday. Of course, the new iPhone comes out on the 9th or gets announced on the 9th on Wednesday. And uh, so I, I was, I'm just going to hold, roll the dice and just wait and just see what happens here. And uh, what I didn't want to do is switch over and then have to deal with ordering a new phone after ordering the init- this initial new phone from them. And so um, so I'm going to wait, but either way I, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just go and grab one of those test drive phones and, and just check it out and just make sure before I 
dump everything over to T-Mobile that uh, everything works out swell. Uh, so I went to try and sign up for these phones and come to find out it says it's going to there's like a, a backlog and we'll contact you in four to six weeks or something like that. So I was talking to the store rep and he says that they may be discontinuing the test drive program here. If you recall, this is where T-Mobile will send you a phone for free for seven days to try it out. They had, I guess, a million uh, of these that they were going to send out. Maybe they've either hit that number or it was a 5S is the device that they were sharing with people. So maybe they just decided that, look, the 5S is now two years old and we're not going to be sending this out anymore. Who knows what the reason is, but it sounds like test drive is about to come to uh, to a halt. So perhaps it gets replaced by something else that we really don't have any information on that. Maybe, but it's probably just too expensive and too difficult to manage. It probably yeah. is. Yeah, well, you think about, you know, assigning numbers, passing them out, collecting them, charging people, not charging people, all sorts of different things that could potentially come up. So interesting stuff there. I'll uh, keep the saga going here as we go. But uh, long and short of it is have not made the switch just yet. T-Mobile also this week on Thursday announcing T-Mobile video calling. This is a service that works with the native phone dialer on select Android handsets without requiring special apps like voice over LTE and HD voice. T-Mobile video calling can switch between LTE and Wi-Fi with no dropped video video calls will be converted to voice calls however if one or both parties moves away from lte or wi-fi coverage the best news for those on limited data plans is that video calls do not count against monthly data buckets t-mobile subscribers will be able to see which contacts are available for video calls thanks to new icons added directly to the contact application the galaxy note 5 and s6 edge plus are the first two handsets capable of making native t-mobile video calls via an update rolling out this week. T-Mobile plans to add the feature to the Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge soon and to three other unnamed devices later this year. T-Mobile said they're also working with competing carriers to enable the feature across networks. In device news, starting with the iPhone 3GS, every iPhone has had the option for 16 gigs of storage, an amount that was once plenty for most functions, but has now become very limited for most users. Despite new capabilities and the presence of 4K video recording rumored in the next generation of iPhones, sources are saying that the new iPhone 6S and 6S Plus will retain the same storage tiers as the current iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, which are 16, 64, and 128 gigabytes. Now, on Contract pricing will also be the same as the 2014 models, starting at $199 and going up to $399 uh, versus uh, the $299 to $499 prices of the 6S Plus. But the uh, 6S and the 6S Plus are likely to retain the design and current materials, but include several new features, according to sources and the stories we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Keep this in mind for this week as we start to see the details roll in on these this coming Wednesday. Force, force touch displays, uh, 12 megapixel rear cameras, 4K video, upgraded front cameras, faster A9 processors, 2 gigs of RAM, uh, and a new rose gold color option. So with the announcement on the 9th, they're expected to go on sale in retail stores on September 18th. Again, all of that is rumored, uh, but uh, most of the sources that are out there talking about it right now are very reliable and have been. Yeah, that's 16 gig option, boy. I see so many people with the, you know, 0.01 uh you know gigabytes of storage left or or it says like three megabytes uh left on their phone and and people are constantly coming to me saying you know i can't take pictures it's not working right and uh it, you know the, they always have the 16 gig model and it really is uh, becoming very difficult to use even uh, and, and most people don't seem to have the new uh the the photo uh thing available or turned on where it's set to optimize storage if they do have it on 
Uh, that's one thing to really help, but it's uh, that photos thing isn't really straightforward for people. They need to do a little bit better job of trying to, you know, educate uh, educate people on that in order to save space. Yeah, and I, I'm someone who uses that quite a bit, and uh, you know, I do enjoy it, and I like having all of my stuff synced over between devices. But it's a it's a little clunky, and it doesn't work perfectly, and it doesn't always sync in the background. Sometimes you have to launch photos to get it to kind of kick in and get started. So there there are some issues with it, but uh, but generally I think it's it's pretty good. So. Um, I, but ultimately I totally get, you know, where most people not using it, uh, are they going to fill up their phones and don't want to delete pictures. And so they're then doing the shuffle of offloading pictures and videos and trying to figure out what to do with them and where to keep them and where to back them up and all that stuff that you just don't want to have to think about. So yeah, the uh, 99 cents a month for the 20 gigs is certainly, uh, is good for most people, but certainly not all. Yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens with the phones. You know, they'll probably be called, you know, 6S and 6S Plus, even though I've never really liked that. Uh, you know, just call it the next iPhone, call it the next version. Uh, but it, it seems like, you know, history has been kind of proving that out that that's what they're going to do. So we'll, we'll have to see how it, uh, see if they'll ever get away from that. Did you see the marketing company called 6S Marketing this week came out with, uh, you know, a very, very creative uh, campaign. And as a marketing company, you would assume that they would do this. Um, They came out with this campaign basically saying, hey, Apple, please call it the iPhone 7. Sincerely, 6S Marketing. And I just thought, you know, that's what a genius way to to get yourself recognized here, because I'll be honest, I saw this story. And is just kind of how it is in the echo chamber that is technology blogs and uh, news sources these days. It, it was all over the place. People talking about success marketing and, uh, you know, these these uh, these vehicles and billboards and stuff that they've had around the country. So uh, maybe it was just in New York. But either way, it was still enough to make me take notice of it and think, you know, wow, what great marketers here that they came up with this uh, this idea to basically go after and say, hey, Apple, you know, and then, of course, got covered by all the Apple blogs as a result. It is. And, and, you know, it, I'm sure nothing will really change. May, Apple may contact them and say, you know, we'll give you a few bucks because, you know, this model will be around for, what, two years and it'll be a thing of the past and nobody will basically remember what it is. And, uh, you know, just get along, I suppose, since marketing and, and a phone really aren't in the same market. So it's probably not going to be uh, that big of a deal at all, I, I would imagine. But back on these phones, you know, with the two gigs rumored RAM, that would be something that would be uh, well appreciated these days because it seems like the applications are getting bigger and bigger and uh, require more RAM. I see that with the uh, the iPad a lot with Safari reloading pages. You can't even have two simultaneous web pages up without it. Re- you know, you can't switch back and forth between tabs without it reloading. Yeah, which is kind of an issue. Um, it's more than kind of an issue. It's a really annoying issue, especially uh, with a device that's supposed to be relatively high powered. So, um, yeah, two gigs would be great. Uh, you know, some of this other stuff, Force Touch, of course, it's coming. 4K video sounds nice. A9 processor, fine. All good stuff here. Um, you know, again, another great device, it sounds like, as far as, you know, specs that'll take someone two years out with their phone. That's right. And uh, Force Touch, you know, while gimmicky, while interesting, uh, you know, I saw kind of a story today that mentioned something about gaming. I'm like, ooh, now that's where Force Touch would really add quite a bit of power to uh, mobile gaming where, you know, if you press the screen a little bit harder and make your accelerator go a little bit better, you know, may give you a little bit more power, give you more, you know, steerability or nav, you know, navigation within the game. Uh, it, that would be pretty neat to have. Yeah, that's true. And I I think about the, you know, the process that is, uh, you know, going right now and doing things like swiping to delete or whatever on email. And if all you had to do was hold it down and you got other options that popped up, I think that would be kind of a neat thing as well. Uh, Especially if you're someone, you know, I don't know what it is, uh, 
but you know, just different functions that you could potentially add in there. So you're not reaching all over the screen to do stuff like that. No, in that case, you wouldn't be holding it down. You would literally just press it hard and it would delete it. See, that's the, that's well, the beauty go. of it. You don't have to sit there and press and hold. You, 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 know, you just hit it hard and then it would be gone or, or whatever the action may be. Yeah, and I like that, that hold down hard to delete. You know, you're, I'm done with you, mail. Squeeze and you go away. Squeeze your mail to go away. Uh, besides the new iPhones, a revamped Apple TV set-top box and bands for the Apple Watch. Uh, new bands are currently rumored as well. They're currently also planning a debut of new iPads at the event, possibly uh, a larger screened iPad Pro and a refreshed version of the iPad Mini. The iPad Pro, that is the planned name for the device, so Joey, you get your wish there with that. Uh, currently scheduled to hit retail outlets in November following a pre-order campaign and a launch towards the end of October. You know, they usually do the October uh, announcements separately for the iPad. But, you know, this year, uh, I think the iPhone literally is going to be one of these two-second announcements where they bring it up. Oh, this is better. Here it is. Same price. Better. It's, you know, it's, a, it's basically a three-minute, uh, four-minute presentation. Probably, you know, they're going to show a video about the, the new camera, and it's a great video. And then that's it. So they need something to fill the time. Yeah, that's true. Now, there are the sources that are talking about this saying that the recent announcements for enterprise collaborations with IBM and Cisco are going to be a big component of this. Uh, and also uh, the iPad Pro, um, they say may if it does get announced this next week, um, may not get released or they may not re be releasing then a new version of the iPad Air until next year uh, that that may be the iPad Air 2 may just be the one that hangs on for right now. So essentially what we're doing is we've got the mini, the Air, and then the Pro, which if you think about what's happening on the laptop line, you've got three different models right now. So it makes all the sense in the world. Well, and we didn't see much of an update other than the, the, the fingerprint sensor with the mini three. Um, but the iPad Air 2, you know, the, I don't think that many people really bought it yet, so I think it still has some staying power, especially with its uh, upgraded RAM and, uh, you know, maybe with the lack of force touch if they do add that to uh, the iPhone. But I, d I don't know if it's really going to be a big deal right now, and I, I think they could probably stretch the, the, the Air 2 out. I really would like to see, and I know this is like blasphemy, but I would like to see an iPad Pro, or uh, yeah, I guess it would be the iPad Pro, that functions more like a Surface tablet. And I get that the iPad itself in inherently is not a laptop and in the Surface is more laptop than tablet. But I think there are places to go with the iPad that they are just refusing to at this point. Like a trackpad. I would love to see a trackpad so that you could navigate around when you're doing stuff in email, uh, Word documents, uh, and whatnot, that would just be easier than pushing and holding on the screen. And I would love to be able to manipulate with a mouse. And so I really don't think that's going to happen, but that's just an example of something that I would love to see. Well, as we saw with the iOS 9 preview, they have kind of integrated that into the keyboard where you do have some navigation. So uh, that may take care of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess, but it's I, and it it is there, um, but it was I, it's not enough. It, they need to ha they need to do more. And I guess this is where it's like just pull out your Mac, Mickey, and figure it out from there. But that's really it. I mean, the, the, I think they do need to keep that distinction. Uh, I, I they do because otherwise they kind of blur, and then all of a sudden, like, well, which which is your computing platform? 
Yeah, but that's the point. I, I would love to have a, a device that re- replaces the laptop in so many respects because the Mac doesn't have it's not it's not instantaneous on the it doesn't have built in LTE. It doesn't have that ultra portability. It's just never going to be that device. And so I just constantly find myself feeling frustrated, um, you know, where like trying to shoehorn in an iPad into my life when I'm trying to get, you know, more I'd say worky stuff done right and I just I just can't do it it just is it keeps falling flat for me yeah but I, I see where Apple kind of tries to keep it as a you know finger only device you know it, it, it they want to have that navigation be finger based exclusively instead of having a keyboard and mouse or you know trackball or trackpad yeah well either way uh, we'll hear more on Wednesday lots to talk about uh, coming up on next week's show following the announcements, uh, whatever they may be. Google on Monday are releasing an Android Wear application for iOS devices that makes the iPhone compatible with Google-based smartwatches. The Android Wear app works with the iPhone 5, 5S, 5C, 6, and 6 Plus phones running iOS 8.2 and higher. Android Wear allows iPhone owners to check their information at a glance, such as calls, messages, and notifications, as well as set and following fitness goals and setting up tracking of steps and heart rate, and also receiving timely information about flights, traffic, calendar appointments, and more. Android Wear for iOS supports OK Google voice-based queries as well. Google says the LG Watch Urbane is the first Android Wear smartwatch to support iPhone compatibility, and that all future devices, including those from Huawei, Asus, Motorola, and others, will support iOS. And after mentioning it on early on earlier this month on stage, Samsung releasing more details about its coming gear S2 smartwatch. Uh, Samsung on Monday saying the shipment will begin in October of the new Gear S2 and exact pricing details uh, and various models that will be released were not mentioned. The Gear S2 will work with any Android handset running Android 4.4 and up. Previous Samsung wearables did require Samsung handsets, so it's nice to see this device uh, running Tizen to finally be available and working with any Android handset that's out there. Next bit this week, revealing the Robin. This is an Android smartphone that intelligently uses the cloud to manage storage space on the fly. The handset includes 32 gigs of offline storage and 100 gigabytes of online storage. The phone itself is 32 gigs, but the Robin has access to another 30, excuse me, 68 gigs of storage on NextBits servers. So when the Robin is connected to the internet via LTE or Wi-Fi, it has access to all 100 gigs of storage space. Robin software will learn which apps are used in most and least and will proactively remove the least used ones from the handset until they're needed. Removed apps will still appear in the menus, but will be grayed out and unusable until a user chooses to reload them. Users won't have to re-enter credentials for removed apps, though, and Robin keeps account and login details intact. The main chassis of the phone is made from metal and two polycarbonate caps on the top and bottom. The caps house stereo speakers, each with its own amplifier, camera modules, sensors, and wireless radios. The Robin features a 5.2 inch full HD screen and is powered by a Snapdragon 808 processor with 3 gigs of RAM. The Robin has a 13 megapixel main camera, 2 tone LED flash, and 5 megapixel front camera. Nextbit added a, si- a fingerprint sensor to the screen lock button, which is located on the side of the Robin. The phone has a non-removable 2650 milliamp hour battery, has Bluetooth, GPS, NFC, Wi-Fi, HSPA+, and LTE, working on both AT&T and T-Mobile in the U.S. They'll be launching the Robin in the U.S. via Kickstarter Early bird supporters uh, will get the Robin for $299. Follow-up uh, supporters will get it at $349, and they plan to ship for $399 in the first quarter of next year. 
Huawei on Wednesday announcing the Mate S. This is a new flagship Android smartphone with the most notable feature being a force touch display. This measures the pressure placed on the screen of the phone and the harder you press on the photo in the gallery, the more it zooms, for an example. It's precise enough that Huawei will ship the phone with an app that turns the screen into a scale to weigh things. The screen is 5.5 inches and it's full HD AMOLED. It has a 13 megapixel main camera with RGBW sensor, 1.2 degree optical image stabilization, sapphire lens, and advanced manual controls. Front camera, 8 megapixels. Another unique feature is the directional listening. It uses three microphones to pinpoint voice locations and filter out background noise. The Mate S is also water-resistant using a nano coating. And like many Huawei phones, it has two card slots, one for the SIM card and one for either a memory card or a second SIM card. It supports 13 LTE bands, including US bands, thin metal body with fingerprint sensor built in, powered by a Huawei Kirin 935 2.2 GHz 8-core 64-bit processor, 3 gigs of RAM, and will be available next month in Europe starting at 649. Those are in euros, and also a version uh, with 32 gigs uh, of internal storage. That is the version, uh, and it comes for 649. Sony this week at IFA announcing three high-end handsets as part of the Xperia Z5 series. First, there's the regular Z5, a 5.2-inch handset following the recently launched Z3 Plus, a smaller version of that phone, the Z5 Compact, and the 5.5-inch Z5 Premium, a 4K smartphone. So the Z5 series devices are all powered by Qualcomm Snapdragon 810 processors, backed up by 3 gigs of RAM in the Z5 and the Z5 Premium and 2 gigs in the Compact. Sony's OmniBalance design returns with frosted glass-backed metal frame designs. All three have a new camera setup, Sony's biggest upgrade since the 2013 Z1. It's a new 23-megapixel Exmor RS sensor, and it fits behind an f2.0 Sony G lens. Sony claims the new setup offers the fastest autofocus of any smartphone camera in just three hundredths of a second. Sony's also promising advancements in low-light photography and software stabilization in its new camera compared to the previous 20-megapixel unit. And for the first time in two years, a completely revamped main camera in the Xperia. This is the first in two years, that is. Uh, There's also a new fingerprint sensor mounted on the side and the phone's redesigned power button, making these the first Sony phones to feature biometric security. And as we've come to expect, the Z5 series also boasts water and dust resistance, rated IP65 and 68, complete with a capless micro USB and headphone port. All three run Android 5.1 Lollipop alongside the Sony software experience that's familiar to the users of the previous Z-series phones. It also features PlayStation 4 remote playback capabilities and integrated with other Sony platforms like Play Memories and PlayStation Video. The Xperia Z5 is a 5.2-inch device with a 1080p display resolution and a 2900 milliamp hour battery launching globally in October. The Z5 Compact will also launch in October. Downsides that 4.6-inch screen to 720p with a 2700 milliamp hour battery. But the most interesting addition is the Z5 Premium. It comes in November. 5.5-inch 4K Ultra HD display. That's 3840 by 2160 resolution. That is unbelievable. That is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous it is. 806 pixels per inch. So that's like two and a half times what you find on an iPhone. Boy, I really want to see that screen. I really do. That's amazing. It is the world's firsts. Uh, and, you know, and I would imagine 
you would see some high resolution drain on that battery. But Sony says it could do two days uh, with the 3430 milliamp hour battery. They will have dual SIM versions uh, of the Z5 and Z5 Premium. The Z5 Compact will be single SIM only. No word on U.S. availability, though Sony has made previous flagships available unlocked through its official online store. Alcatel One Touch announcing the Go Play this week. This is a new series that fills the gap between the Idol series flagships and the lower end Pop and Pixie series. The Go Play is nearly identical to the Conquest already sold in the U.S. on Boost Mobile. Alcatel will be selling the Go Play unlocked directly to consumers via the website. The Go Play has a 5-inch 720p HD screen with a dragon tail trail glass and a 1.2 gigahertz quad core processor with one gig of ram and eight gigs of storage the go play supports at&t and t-mobile lte and has an eight megapixel main camera five megapixel front camera and can record full hd video the phone features an ip67 rating for protection against water and dust and can be used to take uh, underwater images thanks to dedicated filters other features include gps fm radio and a 2500 milliamp hour battery the phone is drop proof and the go play will be sold in eight colors running android lollipop sold below 150 dollars later this year asus announcing the zen watch 2 this week an android wear smartwatch that comes in two sizes and three stainless steel case colors just 149 euros the company claims two days of battery life and the watch charges via a magnetic connector on the back set of exclusive asus apps that includes a messaging application will communicate with other asus watches directly also 18 different straps are available motorola on wednesday announcing several new versions of its moto 360 smartwatch catering to both active and professional lifestyles the 360 comes in two sizes 42 millimeters and 46 millimeters the 360 by 360 circular pixel display will have a slim three millimeter bezel and offer a full round screen Customers can choose from several several finishes, including stainless steel and a variety of quick-release straps. Motorola will allow people to build their own via Moto Maker. They run Android Wear 1.3 and are compatible with both Android phones and the iPhone. Com- uh, powered by a Snapdragon 400 processor, 512 megs of RAM, and 4 gigs of storage. Uh, the larger size has a 400 milliamp hour battery, the smaller a 300 milliamp hour battery. Both sizes measure 11.6 millimeters thick and include Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. The 360 Sport adds GPS for tracking workouts and a brighter screen for easier outdoor use. The 360 can be pre-ordered now, shipping in late September. The 360 Sport will ship later this year. Prices range from 299 to $429. And Samsung unveiling its second-generation SmartThings Smart Home Automation Hub at IFA this week, available right away in the U.S. The open ecosystem allows the SmartThings Hub to connect to a variety of sensors and accessories from a range of manufacturers. The hub has a beefier processor that will allow you to monitor video feeds from a connected camera remotely through the SmartThings app on Android and iOS. Dubbed Smart Home Monitor, the feature continues, shows a continuous video live stream, also delivering real-time notifications and recorded content from connected cameras when it senses activity, fires, smoke, leaks, and floods. The new hub does not need to be connected to the internet to function, but does come with a built-in 10-hour backup battery in the event of a power failure. Samsung will sell the hub in the U.S. for $99 with a range of sensors also available about $30 each. The hub is integral to Samsung's Internet of Things plans, starting uh, stating within the next five years all of its products, including TVs, smart soundbars, washing machines, and fridges will be able to integrate with the SmartThings hub. 
it's kind of interesting, you know, we've always been, you know, oh, there's that internet fridge, there's that internet fridge, and we've, we've heard that for how many years, 10, 10 plus years, oh, our fridge can tell us what we need, and, 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 you know, as sensors and this connectivity becomes more and more ubiquitous everywhere, and you kind of almost expect your stuff to be, you know, on your, an app on your phone where you can control your thermostat, you can control, you know, whatever it may be, having basically, like it says here, kind of thinking everything being an app, you know, where you can see whether, you know, you're, you can see how many minutes are left in your washing machine cycle or see how many left is on your dishwasher cycle. Stuff like that is, you know, kind of interesting to see. And obviously you may want to know when your your washer is done without having to have that loud, annoying beeper that you may not hear wherever you may be at, at in your house. So this is kind of, this is kind of neat. And then when you add things like sensors where, you know, it's talking about fire, smoke, leaks, for example, you can have this uh, and have this connected to to you wherever you're at if something does leak. Uh, and that's an amazing thing to have uh, have that ability to do because really, uh, you know, if you have a basement and your water heater blows out, you may not know it. Uh, you may not be there. You may be gone for weeks, months, you know, days, or even just an hour. And that's uh, terrible damage that that can cause. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of merit to to being able to start integrating your stuff in an easy way. And, and you know, home automation has been around for a while, but it, it has yet to become very easy for the average person to implement. And so I think it's going to take uh, a software giant like a like a Samsung or someone that can make the hardware that's really easy to to migrate and, and integrate into your life that uh, gets you starting to think about this stuff and saying, you know what, I used to have just a regular old lock on my front door, but now I want something that is uh, Bluetooth enabled or my garage door opener or to your point stuff like this where it's uh you know being able to tell you what's going on in your house and then alert you if there's going to be something that's going to cause uh you know catastrophic damage yeah it really feels like we we haven't really made much of a change i mean yes we we the, we've got systems available they've been available though we've seen whole mom and stuff you know in the 1950s where the stuff was integrated but none of it's been real mainstream i mean and, and, and seriously most houses are just you know regular light switches why don't we have you know you know basically a control panel when you walk in the room that you know may act like a toggle switch but it's actually you know digitally electronically controlling something not just interrupting uh, you know current flow to a to a light or a lamp up above and it, it seems like we're really now we we, we really need to kind of make to the next step and make make something cool where things are integrated and controllable from around uh, in a you know inexpensive fashion yeah, there's no reason that, that they couldn't or that we shouldn't. It's just, it's all about seeing is when the necessity is going to, uh, uh, or when the technology is going to feel like a necessity and then to get people to integrate it. Because until then, it's just going to be interesting stuff that only a handful of us use. Yeah, and taking the one step further is just, uh, you know, to me, the, the you know, HVAC systems of, of houses are, are, are just so, uh, and even office buildings for that matter, where literally you've got, you know, one thermostat, you know, somewhere in the center of your house that uh, you expect the rest of your house to maintain that same temperature is just awful. I, I cannot believe we do not have, you know, individual rooms being each temperature controlled just everywhere in, in every house for basically no extra price. Yeah, that's something that hopefully within the next couple of, uh, you know, couple of cycles on, uh, let's just say the technology that is, you know, the HVAC systems of today, uh, we'll start to see that kind of stuff. Obviously, you've got, you know, sensors in commercial buildings that can go uh, place by place and you've got variable frequency drives that can, you know, adjust kind of on the go for, you know, the fans that uh, that allow for th that kind of stuff to, to be a little bit more customized. But you're right. The vast majority of us work uh, in places or live in homes that don't have that stuff just yet so it'll be uh it'll be a little bit of time before that comes but either way nice to see samsung doing some of this stuff 
In the software news this week, Mozilla releasing a public preview of its Firefox browser for iOS in New Zealand. Mozilla uh, limiting the preview to New Zealand uh, for scale purposes, hoping to receive feedback on visual tabs, how the browser functions with Firefox accounts, and intelligent search. Mozilla plans to release Firefox for iOS worldwide later this week. Google updating the appearance of its Google Now and Google Search tools on Android with the new company's new design language this week. First, the app adopts the new logo and font changes made by Google earlier in the week. Secondly, Google Now uh, and the cards are arranged by the category and will shift and change size throughout the day to reflect important appointments and other events. Thirdly, Google Search's application now displays the Google Doodle on days it's published and search results making it easier to sift between types of content, uh, web images, video, and uh, with new swiping gestures in there as well. The Google search application is free to download from the Google Play Store. Google said other Google branded apps will be given visual tweaks in the days ahead to reflect its new design language. PayPal on Tuesday launching a new service they say makes it easier to send and receive money. With PayPal.me, PayPal users create a unique URL associated with their account. The link gives others a way to make payments or send funds. Family and friends can, uh, or customers can click on the link, enter the amount that they want to pay, then their password and they're done. Uh, want a specific, specific amount of cash to request, uh, send a link to the with the number at that end. So paypal.me slash John Doe slash 25 and the recipient will be asked to send $25. Paypal.me is free to use and requires a PayPal account credential. Uh, credentials to be uh, to be accessible. Amazon on Tuesday said Prime customers can now download videos for offline playback to certain mobile devices. The feature, part of the Amazon Prime Instant Video, is compatible with Fire tablets, the Fire Phone, Android phones and tablets, and iOS devices. Amazon is offering a percentage of its video library for offline playback, including television shows, classic movies, and newer cinematic releases. Not all videos are available for download offline playback, though. Incompatible videos will be marked as such. Prime subscribers can download the video file via Wi-Fi and will have between 15 and 30 days to watch the video, though that varies by title. Before viewing, the viewing period ends. Offline viewing is only available to residents of the U.S. So this is kind of a big deal. I mean, obviously with, uh, you know, flying on planes is about the only spot really these days where you do not have connectivity or, of course, if you're out at the cabin or you're out in some uh, fairly rural area where you don't have a, you know, broadband connection. And, and you know, for some people, this is this would be really, really great to have. Or even uh, if I suppose if you're on a train, you know, commuting, you don't really have good uh, even mobile data connection, especially because you're in a metal tube and then you're traveling kind of fast, moving between cell sites too quick for the uh, for the things to keep up or you're underground where you just don't have service at all. So this is really pretty an amazing uh, feature and I'm, I'm sure it will help uh, keep subscribers for Prime. Well, and I think uh, it really is just anywhere outside of your home. I mean, if you think about it, it it's sometimes annoying to try and find a, a Wi-Fi connection and certainly you don't want to use your mobile data for all the video streaming that you could potentially do in a month. So I think it just makes all the sense in the world that they, they have this available. It does, but of course there is one aspect to this that uh, you know does make it kind of difficult. Then what what happens is you have to kind of manage this. I mean, you you have to think about it ahead of time, decide what you want to have loaded, and hopefully it it uh, hopefully it is available to be for offline playing. I don't I haven't looked at it yet to see what is available for offline and, and if it's real restrictive or not. Uh, that would make a big difference. 
this, you know, interestingly, this brings up a whole nother point, which is I don't think a tablet should really be sold at 16 gigabytes either because of stuff like this. And it's, you're just, you want to have a bunch of, you know, data or audio or whatever it is on the device. And you don't want to have to manage it so tightly where you have to, you know, delete and add stuff all the time. Just throw a bunch of stuff on there, leave it on there for when you need it. And, you know, and then whenever you find yourself in a situation where you need, you know, half hour to kill, you can fire up a TV show and just watch it. And uh, I, I just, I feel like there's got to be a better way to do that. Um, you know, and I guess the, the biggest reason, way to do it is to offer bigger devices. I, I've got 32 gigs on my iPad right now, which is fine for most of the stuff that I do. But when it comes to, you know, storing video and, and audio on it, uh, for when I'm on trips, it, it's, it feels a little bit lacking, honestly. Yeah, my 128 gig iPad, I mean, I have well over 64 gigs on here, um, well over. And I think actually I'm probably more in the 100 gig range. So it, it's something I will not uh, go less than that in the future, just due to what you're saying, because of, you know, there's, you know, some really large app games I have on there. Like I have Grand Theft Auto, I was playing recently, and I have a couple of iTunes movies. I only have two that I've gotten for free because they come with a digital card, uh, an iTunes mm-hmm. card. And with a couple movies in that, uh, that's how big it gets. Yeah, it doesn't take very much. Uh, speaking of iPads and sizes, iPad Pro, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm thinking that they're going to offer premium versions of this device that are going to be quite expensive. So, um, you know, 256 maybe is an option based on how big uh, the screen's going to be and how big the device is going to be. They obviously are going to be able to fit it inside. Maybe. I, I don't know if we'll see that the first year. I don't think we'll see that off the bat. I really don't. Interesting. Well, either way, uh, good news here for those that are Prime customers. You can download this stuff and have it on your device. Watch it whenever you want. Finally today, as Nokia's smartphone division becomes more fully absorbed into Microsoft, the company is cleaning house, ending some applications and services that Nokia has developed specifically for Windows Phone. Those include Lumia Storyteller, Lumia Beamer, Photo Beamer, and Lumia Refocus photo and video apps that integrate into online services. Those will be shutting down on October 30th. Microsoft says it is better to commit the resources to work on the mobile version of Windows 10, which is coming soon, but not all the features will be canceled services appearing in the new OS. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524. We'd love to hear from you and we'll get anything you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.